Hello, I'm Sherry House, a missionary living in Thailand who loves to study the lives of great women of whom it can be said she hath done what she could. Welcome to Silhouettes, my weekly story about a lady whose life challenges, encourages, and teaches me. I hope as you listen today, your heart will be encouraged and challenged too to do what you can for the Lord. So grab a cup of tea, sit back and enjoy. Let me tell you her story. Susanna Annesley was born on January 20, 1669 in London, England. She was the last of 25 children born to Dr. Samuel Annesley, who was one of the 2,000 nonconformist ministers who took a stand against the Church of England at that time. Susanna had a close relationship with her father, and when other children liked to escape the schoolroom to play outside, she retreated to her father's library, where he gave her full access. She had a brilliant mind and could read Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Susanna loved to study theological books and could hold her own when partaking in deep theological discussions with her father and his colleagues. Susanna was a beautiful young lady with black hair and blue eyes. She was strong of character and discipline, and she lived her life by conviction. At the age of 13, she made the decision to return to the Church of England. Around that same time, she met Samuel Wesley, who was 19 and also had returned to the Church of England. He studied at Oxford for five years, and upon his graduation was ordained as a minister. That same year, they were married. Samuel went through several different appointments during their first few years of marriage, all of which offered meager salaries. He struggled to manage his finances well, which often made keeping house very difficult for Susanna. With six pregnancies in the first eight years of marriage, Susanna's health suffered as well. During this time, she lost three children, and her daughter Mary was permanently crippled by a maid's carelessness. Her husband took a new position which gave them a substantial increase in wages, but Samuel used most of it for traveling to preaching engagements and on a failed farming venture, which left him with even more debt. Susanna's eighth child was born in the new parish, and then over the next five years she gave birth to five more children, all who died in infancy. One day when Susanna was pregnant with their 15th child, her husband took offense to the fact that she didn't say amen after he included a prayer for King William during their regular prayer time. Many at that time believed that William of Orange was not the rightful king and Susanna was one of them. Her husband was outraged and promptly abandoned her, their children, and his church flock for nearly six months. He swore he would never live with her again until she begged God for forgiveness. By the time Susanna's child was born, King William had died, and Queen Anne, someone they both agreed was a legitimate ruler, was on the throne. They named their new daughter after her, and Susanna and her husband were reconciled. Not long after that, Samuel was off again when he applied for a ship's chaplaincy. He came back for two days and then left early one morning, saying he resolved never to see her again. While he was gone, the family suffered a house fire, and two-thirds of it burned down. Most all of their household possessions were damaged. Samuel used this as an excuse to justify his returning home and began rebuilding their house. The following year, their 15th child, John, was born. Susanna's 16th child was accidentally smothered by the nursemaid during a political protest outside their house, and shortly after that, her husband was thrown into debtor's prison. Martha, their 17th child, was born the next year, and Charles the next. When Susanna was pregnant with her 19th child, they suffered another house fire. Everyone made it out alive, but just barely. The house, the parish records, and all of their possessions were lost again. Susanna took her children's education seriously, and although the girls were not usually schooled at this time in history, she insisted on teaching her daughters right along with her sons. She taught the children lessons six days a week from 9 in the morning until noon, and then from 2 in the afternoon until 5. 
Each child started their learning the day after they turned five, and all of her children learned Latin and Greek along with various other academic and religious subjects. Wanting to have even more influence on her children, Susanna decided to assign each child a day where she would spend one-on-one -on -one time with them for an entire hour. This time alone with each child proved to be very influential in their lives. As the boys got older, they were sent away to proper school, and Susanna made a point to correspond with them regularly and continue her instruction from afar. Since at that time a young lady's options were only employment as a teacher, a companion to a wealthy lady, or marriage, Susanna continued her girls' education at home. She made it her mission to make sure her girls were well-educated. In 1726, after nearly 44 years of marriage, Susanna's husband passed away, leaving her financially destitute as he died in his many debts. For short periods of time, she lived with different ones of her children, but her oldest son Samuel, a gifted poet and teacher, was her chief financial supporter until his death. Her son Charles became a great evangelist and was also a gifted poet, writing over 6,000 hymns. He and his brother John became well known for their methodical way in which they carried out their Christianity. They did not consider themselves to be dissenters, but they sought to reform the church from within. Eventually, a following raised up, and the Methodist denomination was born. During their lifetime, John and Charles Wesley saw over one million souls trust Christ through their evangelistic endeavors. Susanna died on July 23, 1742, at the age of 73. She had a difficult life with many obstacles to overcome, and yet she was faithful to the Lord until her death and successfully passed her faith onto her children. As the 25th child in her family, I'm not sure that anyone had aspirations of what she would accomplish with her life. But as Susanna put it, I am content to fill a little space if God be glorified. That little space was her home where she took the importance of her influence and the raising of her children for the Lord seriously. Well, you can find out more about Susanna Wesley on my website, sherryhouse.com, but let me tell you another story from her life which resonated with one of my own. Susanna was a firm but devoted mother. She somehow subdued her children's wills without forfeiting their affection. She instilled in her children the need for obedience and good manners towards all people and through her example showed them the benefits of a disciplined life. She wrote extended scriptural commentaries and meditations for her personal use and to use in teaching her children. John Wesley once made the statement, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians of England. She was a student of the Word and often schooled her sons in matters of doctrine and practice. John once wrote his mother and asked her for a list of practices she adhered to during their growing up. One of the things on the list Susanna wrote down was that she chose not to hand out punishment for wrongdoing if the offender told the truth when confronted and if they showed true remorse. Susanna felt encouragement to be truthful and repentant was worth far more than punishment. By far, my own mother has been the most influential woman in my life. Besides giving me life, she nurtured me through my childhood years, shaped many of my thoughts and practices concerning God and religion, endured my rebellious years, encouraged my independence, and gave me the freedom to live my life. Both my grandmothers and my great-grandmother also played a role in influencing my life and the direction it took. And then besides these familial influences, I have had many motherly figures in my life that have shaped me into the woman I am today. I remember in college I had a favorite dorm mother. Her name was Debbie Braddock. Uh, she's now known as Debbie McCain. But we affectionately called her Miss B. She was my dorm mother for my sophomore year in Bible college, and I thought she was just awesome. She made our nightly dorm devotions lively and fun. Actually, she made just everything fun. 
I can remember her distinct laugh that brought a smile to my face whenever I heard it. She was full of energy and had a way of making you feel special and important to her. It wasn't all fun and games, though. She took her job as spiritual leader over her dorm girls very seriously. Even today, I still use many of her illustrations that she used to teach us biblical truths. I particularly remember this one night she came to devotions with stinky garbage draped all over her. Devotions didn't have to go long that night. We all got her point. If you hang around garbage, you're going to stink like garbage. When I was given the chance my senior year to choose between staying on the dorm floor where I had been assigned or moving to a smaller room on Miss B's floor, I didn't hesitate. That year, she gave me much encouragement, and her strong pats on the back with words of praise did much to make me want to do even better. I remember one day her passing me in the dorm hallway, sometime midway between my senior year. She stopped me and said that she was glad to see how well I was doing spiritually and that she was glad to see how I was being a good influence on the younger students. She then said something to the effect of, there was a time there for a bit when I wasn't sure which way you would go. That shocked me since she had never once scolded me or gotten after me about my behavior, although I'm sure I did display some attitudes of rebellion over my time as one of her dorm girls, I always knew in my heart I was going to do right, and I was serious about serving the Lord, and I wouldn't have wanted to lead anyone astray, but I was obviously displaying actions that were a cause of concern for her. I determined right then to never give her cause to worry ever again about me being a bad influence and to keep myself in check better. I also made a mental note that Miss B was a person who corrected the wrong by praising the good, and I determined that I wanted to be like that when I became a teacher too. Today I'd like to do a small Bible study I've entitled The Influencer. I recently watched a few YouTube videos of people pretending to be influencers in front of their spouses. I laughed at the husband's reactions as they looked strangely at their wives with a look like, who do you think you are? But really, I was more like, when did we start calling these random people influencers and allowing them to influence us? A little research shows that although the term has been used in the advertising industry for quite some time, it has only entered mainstream usage since about 2016, and it's typically used to describe the job title of someone who makes a career of gathering followers and promoting products. Second only to how astounding it is to me, the amount of money these people earn is how many followers they have. I did a quick search of the top influencers of 2021, and it revealed the top one was a soccer player with 406 million followers. Several pop singers and movie stars had over 300 million, and then some video gamers and models had upwards of 200 million or more. I was astounded by that. This tells me that the world is craving someone to influence them. Whether you consider yourself to be an amateur influencer or not, the truth of the matter is that we are all influencers in one way or another. Sociologists say that even the most introverted person will influence 10,000 other people in their lifetime. We cannot hide from the fact that our actions affect the lives of others and have the capability of influencing someone else. That means we must determine, as Ms. B put it to me that day, which way your influence is going to go. Susanna Wesley was an influencer in its truest sense, someone or something with the power to alter the beliefs of individuals and, as a result, impact the course of events. How about you? How are you using your influence today? Have you been using it wisely? Have you been using it to draw others to Christ? 
The world today is in desperate need of good spiritual influencers who are not in it for the fame and fortune, but simply to draw others to Christ and bring glory and honor to God. Today I want to look at two influencers in the Bible, Eunice and Lois. They're only briefly mentioned in the Bible, but we learn from the first few verses in Acts 16 several things about them. Number one, Lois was Eunice's mother. Number two, they were Jewish by birth. Number three, Eunice was married to a Greek man, something that probably brought shame and kept her from being completely accepted in Jewish circles. Number four, Eunice had a son that she named Timothy, which means honoring God. Number five, Timothy most likely would have been excluded from going to temple or being accepted fully by the Jewish community as well because he had never been circumcised as a child. Number six, Eunice, with the help of her mother, Lois, instilled the scriptures in her son, Timothy, from a very young age. Scrolls would have been expensive at that time, and without access to the temple schools like normal Jewish boys, Timothy's mother and grandmother would have had to teach him everything he learned from their own memory. Even with all these things that were against Eunice, she was still able to influence her son to follow the Jewish faith instead of following the pagan religion of his father. At some point, Eunice and Lois decided to accept that Jesus was the Messiah, and they became Christians. Timothy, in turn, also trusted Christ. I have no doubt it was through Eunice's godly teaching and example that Timothy gladly accepted Paul's invitation to join him in the ministry. Many years later, Paul was still being encouraged by the faith and influence of Eunice and Lois, and he says so in 2 Timothy 1.5 when he writes, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. I wonder, years from now, what will people be saying of the influence you and I had? Did we use it for good? Did we use our influence for God's honor and glory? Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's silhouette and learning a little bit more about Susanna Wesley and this matter of being an influencer. She truly was a woman of whom it could be said, she hath done what she could. Let's you and I go do what we can do. Silhouettes with Sherry is written and told by missionary Sherry House. To learn more about Sherry, this story, or other stories about women who were used of God, read Sherry's blog at sherryhouse.com. That's S-H-A-R-I house.com. Silhouettes can be heard at this time every week on this station. Silhouettes is a Causeway Media and Faith Music Radio production. Thank you.